Let's pray together. As we just sung, come to the water, you who thirst, and you'll thirst no more. And Jesus, we praise you because you are the living water, and you cause it to flow out of our hearts. And we drink deeply of the joy of salvation, as the prophet Isaiah says. Come to the Father, you who work, and you'll work no more, and all you who labor in vain, and to the broken and the shamed. Jesus, you are the one who gives rest for our souls. We don't have to work for our salvation, because you did all the work in your righteousness and in your cross. And we rest in that and that alone for ourselves. Come to the treasure, you who search, and you'll search no more. Jesus, you are full of all glory, and you give a kingdom that is full of riches, worth more than all the world. And the part that we might gain here, Jesus, you have ended our search. You've concluded it. Come to the lover you who want, and you'll want no more. Jesus, you love us. You meet all of our hopes and desires, and you fill us with your very own fullness. You came from the glory of heaven to redeem us, and to make us your own, to cleanse us, and to adorn us as part of your church, your bride. And Jesus, you are all of this, and you do all of this, because it's by your stripes and you paid our ransom. You are the Lord indeed. And streams of mercy come flowing from your side to us. We know that love is here in you, and we ask that you would cause us to see this anew in the Gospel of Luke this morning, that you came from glory to seek and to save the lost, and that included us. We pray that you'd bring us salvation joy in its fullness, and that we would understand that it will be forever overflowing on our behalf. We pray these things for your glory and your church, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 19, looking at the famous story of Zacchaeus. You can follow along in your Bibles or in the printed uh, text in your bulletin this morning. But probably a reality that we've all observed is that saving faith produces such a joy in people's souls that it moves them to great and radical acts of righteousness. I'm sure you've seen that, and especially in the new converts, and maybe even remembering yourself, that saving faith produces this joy that just has to act toward God and toward others in radical acts of righteousness. It's usually observable, of course, in the new convert who has been living a selfish life and then all of a sudden observes and learns about the selfless work of Jesus Christ on his or her behalf and the power of the Spirit in our lives. And some of us can remember that initial work of grace. And then when we interact with recent converts, we get to rejoice with them again every single time. One of my favorite questions to ask new believers is, what changes have you noticed in your life that glorify Christ since you believed in Him. And of course, they're eager to tell you about their newfound love for the Scriptures, the peace that God has brought into their soul, how He's changed their attitudes toward other people, how He's changed behaviors in their life. And the list goes on and on. Basically, they're testifying to the fact that they've become a new person. 
And most often, they're so eager to tell you these things, and that's a sign that indeed salvation has come into their souls. And as we mature in Christ, this stark contrast that we experience gives way to a more settled habit of life of righteousness and wanting to please God more and more and to serve others more and more. And that's where most of us live from day to day. And we want more consistency in our life, and we want to be able to perform greater acts of righteousness. Well, perhaps the key passage in Luke's gospel is the story of Zacchaeus. It's this famous verse in 1910 where it says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's the purpose for which the Gospel of Luke was written. And this episode serves as an occasion for Jesus to simply declare his mission and also to demonstrate how effective he was in accomplishing it. Luke 19.10 again says that he came. He says he came to seek and to save the lost. You see, this passage that we're looking at in Luke 19, it's not really about Zacchaeus. It's about the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus is an example of what Jesus came to do. He is perfectly successful in what he wants to accomplish. So let me read the passage to you. He entered Jericho, speaking of Jesus, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this passage is unique to the Gospel of Luke. And by telling it, he wants to make, again, very clearly known to us what the mission of Jesus is and the results. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost, to bring them great joy that leads to righteousness in their lives. And Jesus did it when he walked the earth. Jesus did it in the day of Luke writing his gospel. And Jesus has been doing it ever since, and he does it even today. In our story, we're going to see a progression that's common in the lives of people, is that when one starts to encounter Jesus, things start to happen, one thing after another. And in verses 1 to 4, we see him showing interest in Jesus, and then in verses 5 to 7, Jesus seeks him out, and finally in verses 8 to 10, salvation comes from Jesus. Again, Luke is presenting a series of teachings on true faith before he begins to narrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is very important to understand. We looked at the Pharisee and the tax collector parable, the childlike illustration, and we learned from those the qualities of acceptable faith. We looked at the rich young ruler and Jesus' teaching encounter with him when we learned about the faith that actually obtains eternal life. We looked at Jesus' reminder of his passion last week and the healing of a blind man and how he's a model of faith. 
And from that, we learned that saving faith pleads for mercy. And we're going to continue with this story of Zacchaeus, and then there's one final parable. But again, this is worth to keep pointing out, because before we begin this passion narrative, it's because the object of faith that saves is Jesus Christ. It's not what we're taught in our society, and sometimes even in churches, that somehow faith has no object as if faith just sort of exists by itself, that it's some kind of spiritual feeling, or that it's some kind of religious performance. That's not the faith of the New Testament. The faith that's being talked about is a faith that's placed specifically in the person of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God who has become man, and in His specific work on the cross for our sins and in His resurrection. That's how we find redemption. So first, we're going to consider this interest that Zacchaeus has in Jesus Christ. Verses 1 to 2 relate to us who Zacchaeus is as the man, and then verses 3 to 4 as the seeker. Zacchaeus, the man, we learn about him at the very beginning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector and was very rich. So Luke continues to tell a second story now about what happened in the city of Jericho when Jesus was ministering there. This incident could very well have taken place before the healing of the blind man, but Luke would place it here so that we can consider the joy of salvation after what the content of it is and the confession that's required that we hear from the blind man. If you just look back to the previous episode, you can see what the blind man would eventually understand what Jesus declared about himself in Luke 18, 31 and following, that all things that are written in the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered into the Gentiles and be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they've scourged him, they'll kill him. And the third day, he'll rise again. And the cry of that blind man's faith for salvation was simply, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, now we're introduced to Zacchaeus. These tax collectors, he's a chief tax collector, These tax collectors that are being mentioned here in this book are Jewish people who are collecting taxes for the Romans. So you can imagine they're not very popular people. And uh, they were ashamed to their families. How would you like to mention that your son collects taxes for the occupying people? They're banned from the synagogues. Tax collection was very complicated at this time and not regulated. And so they would bid for positions in the structure. It was a big scheme. And they're allowed to keep whatever extra they could extort from people. And so it's filled with all sorts of abuses, as you can imagine. These people are despised as traitors to the Romans and extortionists of their own people. Now, in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, we read about another tax collector named Levi, or Matthew. And he was a lower-level tax collector, not like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you notice here, is a chief tax collector. And also, you should notice something about how Luke writes his gospel, because I hope you spend a lot more time in Luke than just here on Sunday morning. And you realize that, isn't it interesting that Luke begins, basically, one of the very first conversion stories in his gospel is a tax collector. And one of the very final conversions that we hear before Jesus' passion is a conversion of a tax collector. Very despised people. 
And Zacchaeus would have been responsible for all of the toll collection in a very lucrative area here in Jericho on a trade route. And so he was very rich, much richer than Levi, and most likely corrupt, way more corrupt than Levi. But we observed that we observed what Jesus did to him. Back Levi in chapter 5, he turned this great sinner into a great disciple. If you turn back in your Bibles to Luke 5.27, we hear read the story. After that, he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, we're going to see him do the same thing again with Zacchaeus. And so we read about him being the seeker, beginning in verse 3. It says, And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, to see him, for he's about to pass his way. Now, for some reason, Zacchaeus is really eager to see Jesus. We don't know why. I mean, perhaps he just wants a glimpse of this famous rabbi who's been traveling the country for the last two years, who's highly revered by the people and healed so many people. Is he really as great as people say he is? Maybe that's what he's wondering. Perhaps, though, he's heard that this Jesus is a friend of sinners. Maybe Jesus befriended some of his friends. And he knew that he needed that kind of a friend because he was a sinner. You know, it's a common reason people find Jesus interesting at first. is because they start to realize that they're a sinner and they don't have a lot of good friends. And they've heard about this Jesus who can forgive sins. And so they're interested in learning more about him. And then we read that he was in small of stature and the great crowd prevented him from his goal, which was to see Jesus. Now, sometimes we have to correct our understandings of things. Sometimes Zacchaeus gets portrayed very poorly and certainly incorrectly as this unsure, fearful, mousy type of guy. Right, movies that are made, especially children's Sunday school curriculum, you know, songs we sing, these types of things. But that is highly, highly unlikely. This man is a very rich, powerful, well-known tax collector in the community. People would have been afraid of this man. And then we see him abandoning his dignity and running ahead to climb this tree to see Jesus pass by. And don't miss that about Zacchaeus. This is an amazing act for a man of such importance and dignity and stature in the community. He really wants to see Jesus, that he's willing to do this. What's happening is not natural, is what we're supposed to understand as we read this text. What's happening in his soul, God is working in this man's mind and his heart. Something's going on. 
his interest in Jesus Christ, and where did this originate? And surely there are many answers that could be given to the question. But you know, maybe Zacchaeus is like so many people that we know, even ourselves, doesn't really know why exactly he's interested in Jesus. He's interested for more reasons than perhaps he can even name. As one pastor put it, he said, often Jesus, before he reveals himself to people, frequently communicates to them a secret desire by which they're led to him while he's still concealed and unknown. And though they have no fixed object, no purpose, no exact reason in view why, he doesn't disappoint them, but at the right time manifests himself to the person. You see, Luke wants us to see that God's preparing the soul to be saved by the Lord Jesus. Jesus gives the interpretation, of course, and the application of every detail of this episode when we get to the very end, when he says that he came to seek and to save the lost. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He seeks out and saves people, and he brings them great joy in their life and causes righteousness to flow out of their lives. You know, not too long ago in the Gospel of Luke, we heard Jesus say, if you look back to Luke 18, 24, about the story of the rich young ruler, another very rich person, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? And he said, well, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And as we read along in Luke's gospel, that should be one of the very first things we think about when we read that Zacchaeus was rich. We just read about another rich man. So maybe this time, we're actually going to see a rich man like a camel pass through the eye of a needle. Maybe that's what God's going to do. And he's going to make it into the kingdom of God. And so in the next part, we observe that Jesus is the one really seeking out Zacchaeus in verse 5. And Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy in verse 6. And then the crowd complains about this relationship in verse 7. So and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Jesus may have seen Zacchaeus in the tree. But most likely, Zacchaeus was doing his very best to hide from everybody, including Jesus. And he states very clearly that Jesus does that he must stay at his house today. This is what, in the original language, Greek here that's being written, is what's called a divine must, indicating that there is divine knowledge and a plan at work. It's not just that, hey, I'd like to stay at your house. No, I must do this. Not only does Jesus have a purpose for Zacchaeus, but he sees this as an opportunity to highlight his mission. This occurs elsewhere in the Bible. Another example is in John chapter 4, verse 4, and carries the same meaning. When at the beginning of the story of the Samaritan woman, it says in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. It's the same construction, same word in the Greek language. You see, Jesus didn't have to pass that way. Just look at a map. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There was another much more commonly traveled route. 
More likely, those words concern the nature of mission. He, he had a divine appointment. That's why he had to pass through Samaria, because he had to meet a certain woman at a certain well at noon. And she was going to be saved. And then she was going to go back to her village, preach the gospel, and they were going to be saved. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it's related at the end of the story, of course, that the father is, through Jesus, actually seeking to save the Samaritan woman. In John 4.23 says, But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. The idea is not so much that the Father accepts these kinds of worshipers, but that he's actively seeking out to make these kinds of worshipers, that people would become that. That's what's going on when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. He has a plan for his life. And while Zacchaeus doesn't understand all these things at this moment, he is so elated that Jesus would come to his house. In verse 6 we read that he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He receives him with great joy, proceeds to his house with his guest, totally surprised that Jesus would want to stay with him. And Zacchaeus is absolutely thrilled for such an honor to have such a rabbi at his home. And he'll get way more than he expected out of Jesus that's in his mind. He's going to receive more joy than he has right now, just jumping out of that tree, because he's going to receive salvation soon. And that's what often happens to people when they start showing interest in Jesus. Maybe that's what happened to you. Maybe that's what's happening to you now. You see, Zacchaeus reveals a common pattern of God at work in saving someone, drawing them closer and closer to himself. The more a person experiences of Jesus like Zacchaeus, the more he wants. And the more he wants, the more he gets. You see, we're actually seeing in action in this story Jesus' teaching in John chapter 6, when Jesus said, No one can come to the Father, come to me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And earlier, that all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. We get to see that in operation here, in illustration through Zacchaeus. And then the crowd complains about this friendship in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a, sin, who's a sinner. Now, I haven't counted them up yet, but at this point, when we read Luke, it's like, how much can people complain? Every time Jesus does something amazing, heal somebody, teach something true about God, or want to be a friend of someone who needs God, all those religious hypocrites seem to think that that's the time to open their mouth and complain because they think they're better than that person that Jesus is spending time with. Well, the whole crowd grumbles to themselves and to one another about this, his associations. Not only is Jesus having dinner with him, you notice he's going to spend the night at this guy's place. And we've observed these patterns over and over. Jesus does these things, crowd does their thing. These people are disdainful, self-righteous. They're not really of Abraham's faith, even though they come from Jewish ancestry. 
The general public, you know, has never approved of Jesus' ways with people, even since the New Testament was written, even in our day. The general public seeks to hinder, hinder other people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You've probably seen that. Because it seems like every time you have a good, solid gospel conversation with somebody, then all of a sudden, all these distractions show up in their life. Because Jesus is pulling these people away from the world. And the world doesn't like it. The world still holds great scorn for people that they perceive are greater sinners than themselves. And the hatred even increases after those people give their lives to Jesus and their lives start changing because it's so threatening. And they can be people like we read about in the Bible, people today like prostitutes or drunkards or ex-cons or the list goes on and on. Maybe even you, people after you came to faith in Jesus Christ, people who knew you from before would say things like, well, I know who you really are. You think you're better now that you got religion? Those types of things. And they hold it against because they're so jealous. I mean, Jesus himself would teach us this in John 15, that if the world hates you, you know it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now on the other hand, the church is very different because the church is united in accepting such people who have been great sinners but have become great saints through God's work. Because we know the grace of God ourselves and our own lives as sinners too. And we understand the operations of God on the human heart and how he seeks out sinners to turn them into saints. Zacchaeus is sought out by Jesus. God seeks out those that he's chosen to bless them with salvation and great joy. And that includes each and every one of us here today who've been saved in Christ. Yeah, you've been sought out by God. Not because you're worthy, but precisely the opposite, because you're unworthy. That's why he sought you out. Because unworthy people make God's glory shine all the brighter. That's why he picks out sinners to save them. Jesus said in John 15, I chose you out of the world. Jesus Christ still seeks out and saves people, bringing them a great joy that leads to a great righteousness. Well, finally then, salvation comes to Zacchaeus in verses eight, verse 8, and then Jesus interprets the whole, the whole episode for us in verses 9 and 10. So in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, we don't know for sure when Zacchaeus made this exclamation. I mean, maybe he did it right away when he jumped out of the tree. We don't know. Maybe it was on the way walking to his house. Maybe it was sometime during the meal. Maybe it was after the meal. Well, they're sitting around discussing more about what the gospel really is with Jesus. However, it does appear that wherever he says this and whenever he says it, it's, it's a public forum to some degree. There are people listening. Notice that he calls Jesus Lord here. Not just term of respect, but understanding who he really is as the Lord. And he declares his resolve 
to complete his repentance. And he says that he would give 50% of his possessions to the poor, which is pretty amazing because among the rabbis at the time, 20% would be considered the height of generosity if someone were to do that. And then he says he's going to repay people he cheated 400%. Well, the law in Numbers chapter 5, you can read it on your own, but the law only required a 20% penalty for this kind of offense if you stole from someone. He's doing 400%. Well, it's pretty obvious this guy saved. Zacchaeus responded very different, very differently than the rich, young, self-righteous civic leader who thought he kept all the commandments. Remember Jesus pointed out the final one that got him. One thing you still lack, Luke 18, 22, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. You see, it's just as the Apostle Paul would later instruct new converts, let him who steals, steal no longer. You see, we observe here in Zacchaeus the proof of repentance. In other words, deeds that back it up. We observe the marks of true repentance in his life, that joy flows out of him. Generosity comes out of who he is, and a newfound righteousness that the Spirit has enabled. Well, then Jesus interprets the whole episode in verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus replies, not just to Zacchaeus, but to everyone, so that they all hear that salvation has come. He should no longer be called a sinner, but he should be called a true son of Abraham. Do you see that in the text? In verse 7, oh, why does he go spend time with a sinner? But Jesus gives him a new title. He should be one who is a true son of Abraham. He's not, Jesus is not talking about him being Jewish or him being a good Jew now that somehow by his works and his repentance he's going to earn grace in God's sight. He's talking about him being saved by the same faith that Abraham had and joining the true spiritual people of God, the one glorious church of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And in Romans 4.16, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. And in Galatians 3.7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And in Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. 
heirs according to the promise. And then in verse 10, Jesus declares that he came to seek and save the lost. Where did he come from? He came from heaven. He came from glory, from the Father's side, from all eternity. He came from the Father as the eternal Son and the second person of the triune God. And he declares his mission here to seek and to save the lost. Remember the parables in chapter 15? The lost sheep, and the lost coin, and the lost son. That's why Jesus came. And notice again that he refers to himself by his famous favorite self-designation, is the Son of Man. We even saw that last week in, when he's talking about who he, what would happen to him in chapter 18. And the title comes from Daniel chapter 7 that we looked at last week. But if you read Daniel chapter 7, you see the Son of Man has quite a glorious description and inheritance of inheriting the world and the nations and the glory. But Jesus talked about how it also included suffering last week and draws our attention then to the prophet Isaiah. Well, here he adds even more filling out our understanding of what it means to be the Son of Man who gains glory for himself. So, of course, at first read, you might think when you read Daniel 7 that the glory is going to be immediate. It's all on its way, of course, ever since his first coming, but Jesus is amassing glory before himself right now by seeking and saving the lost. And when that's done, then he will come in all his power. So salvation comes from Jesus. It was, it was given to Zacchaeus. Jesus sought him out, saved him, brought him a great joy that led to a great righteousness. That's exactly what he did with Zacchaeus. And we should take notice that Jesus was very successful on his mission that he was sent on by his father. And through the church that preaches Jesus and preaches his gospel and the power of the Spirit, we see Jesus continuing this work in the world today, seeking out people, saving them, bringing them the joy of salvation, and leading them to a new righteousness in their lives. And Luke in this passage, again, shows us what happens to people when they start encountering Jesus. Zacchaeus' story is also meant to be a common story, an illustration of what takes place in our lives. Jesus will pique people's interests by his words, by his actions, by his reputation. That's why it's so important to tell people about who Jesus is and what he did and what he taught. And then secondly, Jesus will start beating curiosity and inviting them to know him better. And finally, he'll save them, forgiving them their sins and giving them the joy of the Holy Spirit. Since this is so often the case, part of Luke's purpose in writing all this is to teach us as the church throughout the ages that we should be introducing a lot of people to Jesus. Introducing people to the real Jesus. Because if this is how it happens, that's how it's going to take place. People start hearing about Jesus, then they get interested, and they want to learn more. And eventually God will save them. So it's really important to ask ourselves who we're spending time with and what kind of stories we're telling them. And hopefully, we're spending a lot of time with people who don't know Jesus and telling them about who he is. Zacchaeus stands forever as a model of so many things. He's a model of salvation's joy and radical righteousness as you see what he does in this story. 
And so the story, first of all, calls, uh, calls us to, to remember. And to remember the joy and the radical righteousness that was produced in our own lives immediately after salvation. Do you remember that? And how all of a sudden everything was new. And you looked upon the world in a different way. That was awesome. This story also calls us to keep on rejoicing. And how our present joy in our salvation needs to continually build in our lives and overflow on other people. Also, we can look at the story and think about how many of us, maybe you, have made and occasionally make extravagant expressions of joy in Christ. And when we read this story about Zacchaeus and this guy who does this crazy thing about paying people back 400% for cheating them and decides he's just going to give away half of the stuff at that one point in time, it's like, yeah, he gets it. He's my brother. It makes sense. We should think that way about him. And we should be encouraged by him to keep living in a similar way. It's also a story that we reminds us that we often end up at places in our lives where we've forgotten the expression of joy that we read about here. Or we sense that it's been too long. And this story of Zacchaeus can be an encouragement to you that you can return. That you can return to that place of joy. And if it describes you that this isn't that exciting of a story to you, well, you can take this passage home with you. And you can meditate on it. You can pray through it. And you can ask God to give joy into your life like joy entered Zacchaeus. And commit yourself to this new way of living. But perhaps the most important lesson that has been pointed out for centuries from this passage in Luke for the church to understand is very simply, because it'll come up repeatedly, Jesus' mission is the church's mission. It's that simple. Jesus' mission is the church's mission. And Jesus' mission was to go out, seek people who are lost, and to, and to bring them to salvation in Christ. That's what we learn about from this passage this morning. It's meant to inform our practice and how we live our lives. We want to see Jesus' purposes succeed. We want to see people sought out and saved. And it's our proclamation, our conversations, our relationships with people about the gospel that is going to bring them to salvation. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would grant this desire of ours to us as your church. That, uh, Lord Jesus, we're amazed in the story about how successful you are, how powerful you are in seeking out and saving the lost. How you did that in our own lives. How you've done that throughout our families. How you've done that with so many of our friends. How we've seen you do it in amazingly powerful ways in different cultures if we've had the opportunity to be on mission trips. It's astounding. And we pray this morning that you would reinvigorate us to do the mission the way you did. And I pray, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here who's just saddened because this joy seems to have left their soul, that they knew so long ago or maybe not so long ago, that you would restore to them the joy of their salvation. 
And for all of us, I pray that you would just cause us to be filled with the joy that we see in Zacchaeus. And we pray that all of this would be to your glory, Lord Jesus, for you are the one who deserves it. You are the one who has brought us salvation. You're the one who offered yourself on the cross for our sins. You're the one who earned a righteousness that would be given to us, one that we could never earn ourselves. And we pray all these things for your glory and your church. Amen.